Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's study will continue our journey through 3 John. And it's going to look at one of his primary commands. And that is to be careful in what we imitate. Our world today has an incredible potential for influence. And it's never been more necessary for the Christ follower to learn to equip themselves with the transforming wisdom of God's word. Thanks for joining us today as we seek to give ourselves not in conformity to the world, but rather conformity to the truth found in the wisdom of God's word. It was only a couple of weeks ago, Easter baskets were discovered, little colorful eggs were opened, and new cavities were formed. Um, I remember uh, talking uh, with my, my family as they all tried their best to convince me that a jelly bean is a vegetable because it's a bean. I remember the same problem when it came to Halloween with candy corn. Not a vegetable. Um, it's, uh, it's tempting for kids and it's easy for all of us to gravitate towards those things which, uh, which fulfill the satisfactions and the desires that we have. The problem with those are that the more junk food you eat, the more unhealthier you become. Not only that, but the more that you consume your appetite upon that which is not healthy for you, the more you ruin a healthy appetite for what you should be eating. Uh, if, if you uh, were like us and kind of gorged yourself on some Easter candy, you probably discovered that little ache in your belly made it so that you had a harder time eating the food that you were supposed to have eaten. And so to find that you would actually be made healthy. There's a metaphor in this for how we live in a world filled with additives and preservatives, not in our food, but the kind that make ideologies, uh, patterns of living and behaviors seem either more acceptable or attractive or welcomed in our world. But what they really actually do is produce within your heart and spirit an unhealthiness It doesn't allow you to function the way God's allowed you, designed you to function. And it also ruins your appetite for that that bread of life, that meat that God reserves for those who are mature in the faith to feed themselves on. And so to find themselves growing and becoming stronger and becoming equipped to work and do that which God has put us here to do. What is the junk food of your mind today? What what are those things that you would be better off removing from your life so that you are not left with a belly that feels sick and unable to actually consume that which God wants to nourish you with? Uh, There is a epidemic that's happening in our world today with young people. Uh, They are being conformed to the likeness of this world, and I'm willing to bet for all of you parents who have, who have kids in your home, I'm willing to bet they have some type of a screen. You need to know that the screen is a portal through which you have allowed them access to all of which the world values in so many ways contrary to God's will. Raise your hand if you think that that's dangerous. Are we, are, are we in agreement that this is something that has the potential to be very unhealthy for the formation 
of spirituality and growth in the lives of young people. Now, I don't need to convince you of that. The statistics bear this out to be true. As I think through what is happening in our world today with young people, their minds are being formed. They're they're shaping their hopes. They're shaping their loves. They're shaping their expectations. And in many ways, that mind to which God desires to have, refined and remade, transformed to know his will, that mind is being kidnapped. It's being taken away. And it happens very slowly over time. But all the more in our world today, we see the increasing developments of the evil fruit of a generation that has lost that healthy meat, that healthy bread of life, and has replaced it with Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and whatever the newest new app or fad might be. Uh, the series we're in is called Lost in the Noise. And, and really, it's a, it's, a, it's a series of rediscovery. Uh, we're working through uh, the statistical evidence that has been produced by David Kinneman and Mark Matlock in their book called Faith for Exiles. As they have taken uh, examples, as they have taken surveys to find out what are those unique patterns, what are those unique characteristics that keep a young person in the church and actually grow them into a kind of disciple that is resilient. Uh, I uh, introduced this theme last Sunday, but to remind you of it once again, they find four very clear types of individuals. And so my challenge to you is, which one are you? You, You're somewhere up on this screen. On on the far left, you have ex-Christians, people who once claimed Jesus as their savior, but now say, no, I'm, I'm not a Christian anymore. And then you have the, le- the next three, uh, the uh, unchurched churchgoers and disciples. All of the next three would claim to be Christian if you asked them. If you approached them on the street and said, are, are you a Christian? They'd say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But of those who claim that, they too fall in these distinct categories. Some who don't go to church, but call themselves Christians. And really what they've done is they've patterned themselves off a kind of cultural Christianity. And they'll come on Mother's Day, maybe, or Christmas or Easter. But they're not regular churchgoers. And then the next category are people who who just attend church and leave. It's it's easy to come, but I'm quick to get out the door. And then the fourth category, the, the one to which we are really looking to to grow and engender maturity in are those Christians who say, I'm invested in the church not as a place to go, but as a member of it. Because the church is not a place. The church is a people. Now, as we're seeking to study this, I want to give a quick review of last Sunday of these five characteristics. The first one has to do with identity. And just as a reminder to you, and as we were looking through Jude, you remember Jude's greatest Joy is that his children are walking in the truth. Do you remember that? That's his greatest joy. And we worked hard to define that truth for John is not esoteric, this this list of things to ascribe to, but truth is a person. Remember John 14? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So John, John here, writing to Gaius, is so encouraged to hear, yeah, my, my people, my church, they're walking with Jesus. And to do so means that you actually have a personal experience with Jesus. For those resilient disciples, because the world is hard, amen? Trouble's going to come, amen? 
persecution and oppression, it's going to squeeze itself in. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to remain a Christian? Are you going to have those resources that help you to stay resilient? Well, number one on that list is you say, no, I've met Jesus. I walk with Jesus. I talk with Jesus. He is not a historical figure in a dusty book. He's real. He's alive. That was number one. Today is going to be on the subject of conformity. And we're going to look specifically from the research data to see that it is the wisdom of the word of God that comes to play, comes to bear in the life of every resilient disciple. On that far end of our list, the green thumbs up, right? These, these disciples who are active and involved in the church, across the board, they say the word of God is crucial in my life for ascertaining wisdom to know how to live in the secular world, to know how to make sense of my life and the world that I live in. So that's our subject for today. Again, we're going to be in 3 John. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. I am going to work a little bit quickly through a lot of the data um, because we do have a fun, uh, exciting service here. We got more to get to in our day. Um, I do, however, uh, want to make sure that we do justice to the text So this is my encouragement for you to put your seatbelts on. We're going to move quick today. Okay, everybody with me? Say amen if you're with me. Okay, here we go. Third John. I'm going to start again in verse 1. The the elder. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they're strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us, not satisfied with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. All right, thank you for your attention to God's word. We're we're going to be narrowing down in verses uh, primarily 11 and 12 for today. As the authors of Faith for Exiles are... um, Using the metaphor of Daniel in Babylon, they see that there's a similar way that our young people today, the generation 15 to about 30, has been taken captive. They've been taken as exiles into not physical Babylon, 
but a kind of digital Babylon. Uh, what? Do you ever do you ever see kids at recess? You know, when I was a kid, you know what we used to do? We used to pick on the girls. That's what we used to do. Right? <laughs> we, we would play kickball. We'd play basketball. We'd run around. Today, do you, know what, do you know what you'll see majority of kids doing? And it changes with age, but as they get older, just on a screen. The writers have identified four main ways that the influence of the culture onto the life of this younger generation is affecting them. Number one, they say that the internet now has become the primary educator. If you don't agree with that, you have your head in the sand. No, the internet is not evil. It's a very powerful tool. But unfortunately, for many people, it's left unfiltered and unregulated by parents. And in doing so, it is speaking to the souls of young people. It's speaking to you. You and I are not immune from this, though we have hopefully some more years of experience to help us know. I mean, if you've got, hopefully you have sin in your life that you've repented of, you've gotten to the point where you realize, yeah, there are a lot of foolishness out there that I don't need to worry myself with. But boy, there's a lot of it that's still tempting for young people. It is the primary educator in our world today. Secondly, young people are being conditioned to believe that it's the, it's the immediate, it's the present, it's what's happening right now that matters more than anything. Have you ever been on Facebook? Ever been on Facebook on your phone? Do you ever try to scroll to the bottom of Facebook? How's that work? There's no bottom. Like, it, it's all happening when? Right now. It's, and and it's, for, it's forever updating. It's always Right now, have you heard the saying YOLO before any? That's kind of, it's getting old now. YOLO means it's, uh, you, you only live once. And, uh, and so it's something that has caused young people to want to engage with whatever's happening because they have a fear of missing out for the immediate, for what's happening right now. They are being impressioned to think this way. They're being conformed to think like this. I got cartoons when I was a kid. One day a week. What day was that? Anyone remember growing up? One day I could watch cartoons. How many days a week can you watch cartoons now? All the time. You don't have to wait. You can, you can have whatever you want when? Right now. Now, here's where it gets bad. What if you don't get it right now? What's that do to people's attitudes? You, do you see how, how our psyches, our souls, our minds are being educated? They're being conformed. To think a certain way. Thirdly, uh, screens now make it possible to cram every idle second with distraction. Um, I got to uh, fly an airplane a, a couple months ago. Uh, as you get on the airplane, <laughs> do you know what every single human being is doing? Every single. You used to be books. It used to be books. It's not books now. Now it's headphones, so I don't have to listen to you. And it's a screen, so I don't have to look at you Every, I could have stood up there and went, blah, blah, blah. No, nobody would have even seen me. Because uh, they're all just locked in. Who else is guilty of this? Do you ever get an idle second? You ever have to go to the DMV? Come on, COVID, you've been locked in your houses. I know what you've been doing, right? Yeah. Every down moment that we have, first thing we reach for, entertain me. Tickle my brain with something new. Let me crush some candy. Let me, let me get some 
plants and zombies, whatever it might be, right? This is every moment of our day is now interjected with a kind of have to be entertained so that there is no time to stop. Just stop. And we've forgotten how to listen. We've forgotten how to engage. And we have lost the ability to be wise in a world of distractions. Fourthly, algorithmic personalization filters the world to make it hard to know what is real. That's a big word. You guys know what an algorithm is? Do you know Google has you figured out? Have you ever been searching for, let's say, Mother's Day flowers or whatever it might be? And pretty soon you see popping up ads all over the place for what it is. That's because the Internet is devised to figure you out and anticipate what you want to show you those things that only interest you. We have been duped by a world that wants your soul. And so there's personalization that happens. If you have any type of a news feed, it's not going to give you the straight, here's what's going on in the world. It's going to give you the things you are going to click on because it's timing how long you spend on a certain ad and it's counting how many clicks you make. Everything in the world is tailored to keep you engaged. And so we don't even know what's real anymore. It's very hard to know what is the true, correct perspective of things because as the internet has opportunity to spin it, it will do so according to what it wants you to think, what it wants you to love and desire. This is happening, all right? Something similar is happening in John's day, albeit with much less technology, but with the influence of a kind of thinking where you have somebody like Diotrephes who says, no, when we, we're not going to let these people in the church. We're going to change things so you only think this way, which John says is not according to truth. And so his call here that he's writing to Gaius and he says, Demetrius, he, he, he singles him out as a guy who's a great example of this. The call is that you and I would learn to be wise. And that we would recover those things, having patterned them into our life as being good. Learning to follow after God. It's a very similar uh, thing that's happening in our world today that was happening in John's day. So verses 11 and 12, uh, I have it up here on the screen. Our very first observation, it's going to come from this little part right here with the, with the verb to imitate what is good. And so as we seek to make observations about this, number one is this, a disciple in John's day, one who is commended, one who is resilient, is a disciple who practices and is conformed by what is good. Well, Wow, we just did a whole three months on studying doing good, right? So I, don't, I got a lot of that territory already paved. There is a word here that I do want to give more attention to, and it's the word imitate. Look with me back in the text, verse 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The word imitate there in Greek is, uh, is where we get the word mimic, mimeo. Um, uh, it's, it means to pattern yourself after. Now, moms, happy Mother's Day to you all. Do you remember when your kids were babies? Do you remember what you would do interacting with them? Ah, ah. Right? Do you remember those moments, right? And what, what was the baby doing? It was trying to do what you were doing. It was, it was watching you. And it was trying to do exactly the thing. And you were encouraging it. No. 
walk like this, take a step, right? Everything that you were showing it, it was watching closely, trying to do just what you were doing. It, it takes a long time, though, for that to sink in, doesn't it? I mean, think, think of the years of growing a child and the effort that you as a mother put in to helping to teach them through mimicry how they are to act. Some of you still learning how to do that. Some, some mom's still trying to show. It takes practice. It takes intentionality. There's a great passage that we have that comes out of Thessalonians. Paul writes to the church. He says, you know how we lived among you. You watched us. You saw how we acted. You became imitators of us. The same word. And of the Lord, for you welcomed the message. That's the opposite of what's happening in John's day. The missionaries are coming. Diotrephes is not welcoming it. He says, you welcomed the message in midst of severe suffering, with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so, look at the result. So you became a model to all of the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. Because they watched with mimicry how to act like a Christian. So disciples here, resilient disciples, they practice and they're conformed by what is good. Now, if we're honest, we waste a lot of time. In our world today, we waste a lot of time. Now, I have tried to teach my son, and I'm going to put him on the spot right now. I haven't told him that I'm going to do this for him. Uh, Micah, are you ready? I want you to say good and loud. What? He said no. What's the most valuable resource there is? Say it louder. Time. Time. It's not gold. It's not oil. It's not lumber, even though it's getting expensive. It's time. Do you know why? When it's gone, it's gone. And we waste a lot of time. I think uh, when I was in high school um, trying to get better at basketball... Um, I would try to, I wasn't that great at free throws, even though I was better than a lot of others, but it took a lot of practice. And so I would take all of the time I could to practice. You know, we use funny language today, right? Get, get out your phone. Let me play a game so I can help pass the time. Think about that phrase, pass the time. What, do you know what, would you do that with money? Would you just pour it out? Just let me get, I got this time to waste. What? Waste? Do you, see, do you see the conundrum in our world today that we, have, we just so easily move by and pass without ever giving attention to that which is conforming us, knowing that we have to focus on mimicking God and not the world? And that takes time. It takes practice. For the most part, we've lost that. All right, number two, we're going to focus in on this phrase right in the middle when he says, uh, do not imitate what is evil, which teaches us that disciples are able to discern what is evil. A resilient disciple is somebody who knows what it is. In the context of our book here in 3 John, it's specific to the error that was going on in the church with Diotrephes. I mean, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He stops others from welcoming the brothers. And then he kicks them out of the church. Right after this, John says, don't imitate that. Don't act like that. As your kids were growing up, did they ever have some people that they were hanging out with that you thought, I don't know if I want my kid hanging out with those kids? Because what happens? Bad company corrupts good character. 
Now, this doesn't mean you live in a Christian bubble. I'm going to homeschool my kids forever and never let them leave. No, this means that you equip them to know how to make wise decisions about the people that they interact with. Because a disciple is able to discern evil. You're able to understand it and see it and call it what it is. Uh, A a good preacher example here. Uh, I heard this in many sermons. How do you find a straight stick versus a crooked stick? How do do you how do you find a, a stick and able to define it as being crooked? Do you know how? You hold it up against a straight one. That's the way you're able to see where all the curves and bends lie in it. Now, without the word of God, without the wisdom of the word of God, we don't have a straight stick to evaluate the rest of the world by. So how are you going to judge it? If you're going to try to make sense of the world around you, the wickedness that we see isn't going to look wicked because we compare it with other wickedness. If you're going to discern it, if you as a disciple are going to be able to identify evil, it has to be compared against something that is good. Namely here, the wisdom that comes from the word of God. A great passage here in 2 Timothy. Paul says, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. How are they able to do that? Because they recognize it. They see it as evil. Flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels. So, number two here, disciples can discern what is evil. Let's continue in the text here, back to 3 John. We're going to take a look at this little phrase here. Anyone who does what is good is from God. And what that teaches us is that disciples... And their actions reveal that they are those who are under authority. So being from God, John primarily means they're saved. But the implication of that is that they are under God's rule. Right? This is right from the text, right? Those who do good, they are from God. Now, this is crucial for us to understand because you need to know that as you seek to follow God, you do not carry on just your own reputation, but God's. I think of a soldier who's on assignment. Does the soldier invest himself in civilian affairs when he's on assignment? Hopefully you're like, no. Do you know why? He has somebody he has to answer to. Or maybe think of a child who's going off into the world carrying their their father's name with them. They carry the reputation of the one who they represent. We have something similar from the Word of God. This is beautiful from 2 Corinthians Paul says, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again and was raised again. Um, He says this a couple verses later in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You guys know what an ambassador is? Right? They go out on behalf of another. So they are one who is under authority. That's what it means to be from God. All right. Let's look at the text one more time. We're going to pay attention to this little passage. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone. Um, Demetrius here is likely uh, the person who is carrying the letter, 3 John, and bringing it to Gaius. Or he might have just been kind of the figurehead of the missionaries that were attempting to come there to the house churches in Ephesus. But Diotrephes was trying to keep them away. 
So this is where John is kind of vouching for this guy, Demetrius. And what we find out from this little passage is that disciples' character has to be in accord with public testimony. Demetrius was spoken well of by who? Everybody. Everybody knew this, this dude. This guy, this guy follows Jesus. I have nothing bad that we can say about him. Because the character of a disciple is somebody who lives what they believe and it's modeled for them. We have this passage from Paul again in 1 Timothy. Speaking to Timothy in his ministry, he says, Don't neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Now I'm kind of preaching this again, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it hide under a bush so nobody can see it ever and no one knows. This little shine, right? Everybody sees because the character of a disciple has to be in accord with what people see, public testimony. The next little phrase we're going to look at is beautiful. Not only is it spoken of by everybody, but the truth itself, by the word of God itself. So disciples' character is also in accord with the word. I wonder if you fired up your news feed today, right? Everybody take out your phones, open them up. Let's see what we read. Do you know the Bible teaches us that we are to think about that which is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy? How much in your newsfeed is characterized by that? How much of what the world is feeding into your minds is characterized by what the Bible tells us we need to feed ourselves off of? So... You, you and I need to make sure that our character is actually being careful not to be led into a false way of thinking, into a worldly way of thinking, because it's happening all the time, but instead that we find that our character really accords, falls in line with God's word instead. All right, last one. We're going to look at this little line at the bottom where John says, we also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. This teaches us that disciples are united with those who also align with the truth. I love this one uh, just because it shows that, hey, hey, in the family of God, you need to have each other's back. If you are walking in the truth and others with you are united in walking with the truth, there is support that needs to be seen there. That's exactly what John is trying to convince Gaius of. Diotrephes wanted to kick Demetrius out. He's saying... Hey, we speak well of him, and you know our testimony is true. We can vouch for Demetrius. He's all right. You need to welcome him. This is a good thing to do, and send him on with the blessing of the Lord. So disciples here are united with us who align with the truth. All right, what do we do with this? Application. This is a sentence. So a lot of times for application, I just give you a bunch of points. Well, there's three in here, but it's really one Application, just one big thing that we're going to attempt to do seeing from God's word today. Number one, we need to redeem the time towards godliness. We need to learn to redeem the time towards godliness. Don't waste the time you have. It's the most valuable resource there is. Don't just try to pass the time. It's a, you know it's a long drive from here to town? Either town, any town, wherever you drive from in Segola. It's going to take you a while to get there. Um, I decided this was over a year ago 
that I was going to listen to the book of Philippians, which I can listen to more than once on the whole ride between here and town. And do you know what? In the course of just 30 days, I memorized the whole book of Philippians by taking this time where it could have been idle. My mind could have been turned off. But instead, I decided to redeem the time and use it to help feed my soul off of living bread. When the question was asked of the research, researchers, how many hours annually do you spend time consuming spiritual content? Of the four categories, these are the results. And this is roughly out of about 3,000 hours. What do you notice? Resilient disciples, what do they do? Almost fivefold an ex-Christian. Do you, is there any question why they might be ex-Christian? You can see they're not being conformed to the word. With wisdom, they're barely spending any time in it at all. So redeem the time. Take the time that you have. I wonder if you can think of the spare time that you might have in your life. Do you have any spare minutes? Any time in your day that's just laying around that you could use? And if you do, to begin to practice and train yourself towards godliness. We have this great passage in the book of Hebrews He writes here in the middle, he's writing to the church. He says, we have much more to say to you about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by, look at that, how are they using their time? And they practice in their spiritual free throws. Constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And then I think just probably the best passage from Ephesians 5, the NIV, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The King James actually uses the phrase, I love it, redeem the time because these are wicked days that you live in. So that's the first part of the application. Redeem the time towards godliness and be watchful and careful and discerning of the world's influence in your lives. As the researchers took a look at teenagers and how they make sense of the world, they discovered that only 4% of teenagers have a biblical worldview. That's that much. That's one out of 25 Teenagers looks at the world and engages it biblically. That's 24 others who don't. We, we almost had that many kids up here this morning. I, I was counting them because I thought, if that statistic is true, it's a matter of about 10 years before only one of them actually engages the world biblically. This is what's current. You think it's going to stay this good? <laughs> it's going to continue to even get worse. But this is the reality, and so we need to be more discerning. Let me go back again to Hebrews. Same passage we're in. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to do what? Engage the world with a biblical worldview. So they're able to distinguish between what is good and bad. And they're able to make sense of it because they're carefully giving evaluation to it. I want you to see that it also was in Ephesians as well. Be very careful. Don't just walk, oh, I'm going on the internet today. Not even paying attention to what's out there. Not filtering it through wisdom. Why do you need to be careful? Because the days are evil. So redeem the time towards godliness. Be watchful and careful, discerning of the world's influence. And thirdly, by engaging with the truth 
of God's word. This is the how. How do you go about doing those things? You got to engage with God's word. When the researchers asked the question, uh, how much do you agree with this statement? The Bible is the inspired word of God and contains truth about the world. How much do you agree with that? Ex-Christians were like 8% of them agreed with that. For those who just kind of come to church twice a year, only 20, 29 only said that the Bible's the inspired word of God and has truth in it. For those who just go to church, about half, one out, of, one out of every two people would be like, yeah, yeah, the Bible does contain truth about God's word. But for those resilient Christians, I love that number. Dude, that's why I'm here. That's why I come to church, because I need to be challenged. I need my mind reframed to be conformed to the wisdom of God's word and not the wisdom of the world. Let me one last time, thank you for being patient with me. Let me go to Hebrews again and just show you that the word of God is right here. It's the solid food for the mature, not the milk. This is the meat and potatoes of God's word. And it also showed up in Ephesians with the command, don't be unwise, don't be foolish, but be wise. Quiz, ready? Where are you going to find biblical wisdom? In the B-I-B-L. That's where it's going to be found. So redeem the time towards godliness. Be watchful and careful, discerning of the world's influence by engaging with the truth of God's word. I do want to give you just a couple more because I could end here and be like, all right, let's pray. That was super inspirational, pastor. I don't have a clue how to do that, though. I want to, I want to challenge you with maybe some ways that you can do that. So let me begin, first of all, in the home. And I'm going to put these up pretty quick here, right? Uh, Access, application, and encouragement. Number one, do your kids have a Bible? This morning I was, uh, I thought, maybe I'll add some more slides to this really long sermon. I'm like, no, I won't. But I I just looked it up on christianbook.com. You can do it on your own. Christianbook.com has hundreds, hundreds of Bibles that are tailor-made. You can search by age, three to five-year-olds, six to eight-year-olds, 13 and up. You can search by translation. You can search by activity. Hundreds of Bibles available for kids. Do your kids have access? Starts there. How about application? I was talking to a friend of mine this week saying, how how do you do with your girls? What, What is it that you are actively working on with them to help them see conformity to the wisdom of God's word? Number one answer out of his mouth was, they have to understand that it's applicational. They have to see that it's not just a story, but that it speaks to their lives today. That the Bible matters. That's going to take more work from you. And lastly, encouragement. Are you, are you making encouragement for your kids to read the Bible? So that's, that's my attempt to try to be more helpful. Just one more slide on that. Because it's not just the home, it's also the church. This one's, a little, this one's a little more worse, at least from the researchers. The first has to do with integration. Is the Bible taught in such a way that it seeks to correct false thinking? Is it integrated into our lives? And here's what the researchers found as they looked across a, a myriad of topics. So technology, uh, my church teaches me how to live wisely when it comes to technology, like the Internet. Racial bias and reconciliation, my, ch- my church teaches me wisdom on how to live with people different from myself. Sexuality, uh, my church teaches me how to live wisely when it comes to sex. 
by the way, we got a lot more to say about that. Your kids are all being taught something right now that we need to learn to speak with wisdom to. Uh, and lastly, money. My church teaches me how to biblically manage my money. And when they asked resilient disciples, here were the results. That's not so great. Even for the most resilient of disciples, I think the church has more work to do. If the Bible contains wisdom on how to live our lives, don't you think we should study that together? Don't you think we should talk about that together? And how the truth of the gospel speaks to the change that can be made to live in an evil world? Here were the results from everybody else for the way that they saw those statistics. So... Number two, uh, beyond integration is application. Is the Bible taught onto applying it to your lives? Now, I try very hard not to ever let a Sunday go without dealing with this. But this was the question asked to them. My church teaches me how to live faithfully in a secular world. You'd hope this would be 100%, right? Only 70. I think the church has more work to do here with applying and the application of God's word. And lastly, faithfulness. Is the Bible presented without compromise? Without being watered down, I'm so thankful to you, Grace Church. Thank you for giving me the patience and attention to preach God's word faithfully. Thank you for giving me the permission. This was, by the way, in the the five charters when I signed up for the gig here was that we want you. This came from Pastor Dave and the session at that time. We want you to preach not just the easy things, but the hard things of the Bible as well. When, uh, when the researchers look through the four major swaths through the, through the entire Bible, there's four, there's four big movements. Uh, creation, fall, redemption, and recreation. Those are the big four movements through all the Bible. So you're created with beauty, you're broken by sin, Jesus redeems, and God will recreate. How, how, how many people were excited, do you think, about created with beauty? Do we like to hear that message? Yeah, pastor, tell me how beautiful I am. Yeah. Or that Jesus redeems 100% of people. That's why we're here. We love Jesus. Or that God will recreate all things someday. But what about sin? Do you, do you see we have more work to do? The, the, we, I don't really want to hear about sin. Well, you have no room for good news if you don't know the bad first. I'm just going to put this back up on the screen. We've got to redeem the time towards godliness. We need to be watchful, careful, discerning the influence of the world upon our lives, specifically our kids. And you do that by investing yourself in the truth that comes from God's word. I'm going to end with this final thought. When, when a child gets kidnapped, they say that the first 72 hours are crucial. I looked up these statistics last night. It says that 50% of kids that are kidnapped they get recovered in the first three hours. And then another quarter get recovered in the next 48 hours. And then almost 96% of children who are kidnapped are recovered in 72 hours. But do you know what happens quickly after that? After that 72-hour mark, it's pretty unlikely that you're going to find them. There was a there was a family that I got to travel out west with when I was in high school. And the middle daughter was walking with us as we were kind of hiking through the wilderness and just exploring. She got tired and she said, I'm going to go back to the car. And so she went on back to the car and the rest of us kind of hiked on. And then we thought, yeah, time to get back. So we go back to the car only to find the middle daughter never made it back. There was a lot of panic in that moment. 
We sang the song this morning, How Did the Mom Fight? What do you guys think? That's what she did. She got down on her knees and prayed. And I remember, I remember, I was in high school and I thought, uh, I remember the last place I saw her. And I had a lot of good high school energy and strength, right? So I took off running through the woods, found my way back. Thankfully, my dad taught me how to navigate woods pretty well. She wasn't there. And I thought, let's just go a little further. And for the course of an hour, went further and further up until I saw this little speck off at the bottom of a hill, just a little white shirt. She was completely lost. She, she was out of tears, being scared, didn't know what to do. And we took her back. The world your children live in today is leading them astray. We only have so much time. It's the most precious thing that you have. Can we all be in agreement that we need conformity to the wisdom of God's word? Amen. Let's pray.